On a long and lonesome highway, east of Omaha, sorry, wrong song. I mean, on a long and lonesome highway in East Texas, dozens of young female bodies have been discovered. For more than three decades, these bodies have been found and the investigations into what happened have been questionable at best. Today, we focus on the 1970s, discussing the victims and the suspects. So thus begins our series on the Texas Highway Killings. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you're a fan of horrific true crime, stick around, because these next couple weeks are going to be right up your alley. As Ja Rule would say, It's murder! This is Necronomapod. Ian, fuck, Mary kill the beverage edition. Okay. Fireball, Red Bull, Lacroix slash any other bubbly water. <laughs> fuck, Mary kill Fireball, mm. Red Bull, Lacroix. Uh, I will marry Lacroix, fuck Red Bull, and kill Fireball. I've seen you slay some fireball, so yeah, true statement. Same, I didn't do it because it tasted good. <laughs> <laughs> I got a same one for you, Dave. Oh, oh, I don't get to answer that one. No, oh, no, no, no. Okay. no. I've custom made these. Oh. <laughs> Fuck Mary, kill <laughs> <Look at> you. <laughs> Bourbon, beer, Diet Coke. Oh, 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 oh. Oh. <laughs> Fuck Mary, kill bourbon, beer, Diet Coke. <laughs> His head is sizzling right now. That is a tough one. Hmm. I literally thought of these while I was peeing a few minutes ago. So I did not. I apologize. Sometimes I give you guys warnings if it's going to be tough. Hmm. Bourbon, beer, Diet Coke. I don't even know how to approach this very <laughs> difficult question. Should we reapproach it at the ad break? No, no. I can, okay. I can make a split decision or a split, uh, split second decision here. Bourbon, beer. I'm going to kill bourbon. Wow. Because, you know, I don't know. I'll, well, <laughs> because you have to. Half a beer, and I'm absolutely going to marry Diet Coke, the greatest <laughs> drink in the history of the world. Damn. All right. There's the answers, folks. It's the only way I can go. All right. Good stuff. Good answers. Kudos to you guys for answering around the spot. Yeah. That's all I got. That's all I got, too. So, here <laughs> I we don't are. know what I would do without Diet Coke. <laughs> I'd really bum out. <laughs> like if Coke went out of business tomorrow, I would be bummed out. Drink Diet RC. How about that? Nope. <laughs> Do they even make <laughs> the that? The fuck I will. Is there a Diet RC? <laughs> That's the Jason Bateman meme. The fuck you will. <laughs> is RC made anymore? I guess it is. I think it is. I don't know yeah, if there's Diet. Is. I've never seen Diet. I don't pay attention to any of that stuff. Mm. All right. My one true love. I'm going to be honest. I'm shocked that you married that one. I yeah. thought you might kill beer Mary Bourbon and mm. fuck Diet Coke. Mm. All right. I don't drink all that much bourbon anymore. I slow down a little bit. Look at you. Being a couple a, of beers. Yeah, you know. I'm going to slow down and drink a lot more Diet Coke. Be a healthy guy. <laughs> I believe the level of uh, aspartame is uh. 14 <laughs> drinks daily to make it 
go into the harmful range, so I think I'm all right. What is considered a drink, though? Well, what is a serving size well, of Diet Coke? Specifics. 14. <laughs> Semantics. <laughs> Semantics. That's a lot of pop. 14 in one yeah, day. Yeah, I mean, I'm at that level. But is that what Humble. they mean? Do they literally mean 14, 12-ounce Diet Cokes? I believe so. Is yeah. that what it, it means? Yeah. Oh, who the fuck's drinking that? <laughs> what are those small cans? Like the little 8-ounce gimmicks? 8-ouncers? I discovered That's those. shot. And for oh. me, that is a perfect amount. I will have... One, I'll have, I don't drink it all every day, but like one of those is all I need for like the, to satisfy that soda craving for me. Mm, really? Like I, I'll get like the, uh, the cherry Coke ones. Yeah. I like those. Just, just that is all I need. I like pop or soda it's or co- Coke. If you're from Alabama, I'll have a Coke. <laughs> okay. What do you want? Mountain Dew. Fuck <laughs> you. And ask for a Mountain Dew. <laughs> Dumb hillbilly. Um, I think it's the whole South. It's not just that. I know. I picked a state. Usually we pick Mississippi to pick on, right? Like I picked Alabama. Could be Louisiana. Could be Georgia. Sure. sure. Carolinas. I don't know. Wherever else. Um, Yeah. Anyways. Those little cans. I I enjoy Mm -hmm. those. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure. If you're just looking for. I just want a little taste. Just a little nipper. A little nip. (laughs) A little nip of that soda. And that's all I usually need. I'm a big, you guys know, I'm a big iced tea fan. I like the iced tea. You like the iced tea? Arnold Palmer. They have those uh, alcoholic Arnold Palmers now, but I have not had one yet. I have not had that. You like Arnold Palmers? Yeah. Yeah, they're not bad. I'm also, I think I would discuss this. I'm very weak to caffeine. So like I have to cut myself off by like three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Otherwise I'll be up all night. I can't. After four o'clock, I got to have water. I wish I had that alcohols. Yeah. I get caffeine diet coke. Or caffeine-free Daiko. But see, even that, I it, I don't know if it's just the sugar or whatever it mm. is. It's no sugar in there, pal. Bothers me. In the caffeine-free, there's no <laughs> <Aspartame>. sugar? <laughs> well, whatever. Sugar-free, motherfucker. The gimmick. <laughs> By definition. The gimmick sugar still gets me. I didn't even know they made caffeine-free Diet Coke. Absolutely. Is that the gold cans? Yes, sir, it is. Oh. I always wonder what those things Taste were. Tastes different than uh, regular. I just thought if you bought those, you got like a free ticket to go tour the Coke factory. Uh, like the golden ticket. would be wonderful. <laughs> Interstate 45 is 284 miles of highway that starts in Dallas, Texas, passes through Houston, and ends in Galveston on the Gulf Coast of Texas. Along this stretch of highway, there are small towns and cities that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, like League City or Alvin. However, most of this area is nothing but fields and swampy marshes with some oil fields scattered throughout. For example, there's a 50-mile portion of I-45 between Houston and Galveston known as the Highway of Hell because of how desolate it is out there. I've driven through desolate parts of Texas, and it's like, it's a lonely feeling. You're like, I hope I don't get a flat tire or something on here because yeah. you're just, there's nothing, nothing. Like if you didn't, I've done that as well, and like, I felt like any time I was like below half a tank of gas, every time I saw gas, it's like, I should probably just fill up just in case this is the last one. Absolutely. Just got to be safe. Yeah. But yeah, it's just so big. Tumbleweed. And a lot. Around. Yeah, not a lot of stuff. And then there's like a random Whataburger. <laughs> you're like, oh, there's that. <laughs> Speaking of that, we never got In-N-Out Burger in Vegas. No, we, we didn't. I think we discussed that, didn't we? Did we? No, I don't remember. I don't know. I didn't even see it one though. Hmm. I saw a big light up sign for one, but thanks Did for you? telling us. 
I do regret that because I have to try it. Right. Like I have to try it, but we said so we got that White Castle that one night. Stick to what you know, right? It was uh, not great. Or stick to what you don't know and what tears up your stomach and you miss the haunted museum. <laughs> that place smelled like a urinal for real. I the walked, White Castle? Yeah, I walked in behind you guys. It smelled delightful. It smelled like a urinal. I just turned around and walked back outside. You were smart. <laughs> it was awesome. I got a fucking 10 pack. What was I thinking? Yeah. So. I, I didn't eat all 10. <laughs> but I also didn't didn't spend the next day on the toilet either. I was all right. Probably because I at home like once a week eat the frozen White Castle burgers. <laughs> and I had built up uh, a you know solid gut to that. Sure. Natural immunity, friend. But in all fairness, <laughs> when you were eating them that night, how good were they? They were pretty good. Pretty fucking good. Pretty fucking good. That was a long night of boozing. But I do regret we didn't get to uh, in and out. Yeah. Yeah. Fail. Yeah. Should have tried it. As you're driving down this 50-mile stretch, you'll hit an exit for League City, Texas. And just a mile from there is the 25-acre piece of land known as the Texas Killing Fields. It's right off of Calder Road, up against the Calder Oil Field. The name Texas Killing Fields was coined in the 1980s when the bodies of four women were found on this piece of land. But the bodies of girls and young women, usually ages 12 to 25, have been found in areas off of I-45 for three or maybe four decades. Multiple serial killers operating in this area with over 20 victims and at least four suspects to talk about. So like you said, Mike, we're going to start with the 70s and then part two will be the 80s. Part three will be the 90s and forward. I didn't realize that they got that name from, you know, that movie, The Killing Fields, came out in 1984, and right around that time it was popular. That's where they got that name. I didn't know that. In the summer of 1971, 13-year-old Colette Wilson had just finished up seventh grade and was attending band camp for the summer. She was from a pretty large family. She was one of 10 kids, and her father, Thomas, was a successful dentist, which is a little bit of foreshadowing. The band camp was held at the high school in Alvin, Texas, and it wasn't a camp that you would stay at for a week or something. Colette would ride the bus to and from the high school. On June 17, 1971, at 12 p.m., the band director confirmed that Colette was dropped off at her bus stop off of Highway 6 on County Road 99. Colette's mother got to the bus stop at 12.36 p.m. to pick her up, but, Col- but Colette was nowhere to be found. At first, her mother thought that maybe Colette had gotten a ride home from one of her friends, but after calling around to other parents, it was clear that Colette was missing. She was reported missing to the Alvin police, but she was labeled as a runaway, and that was that. The Wilson family organized their own search parties, but it turned up nothing. She's 13 with the runaway stuff again. This whole time period, the 70s. Man. It makes you wonder how common it was. Like, is it a cause mm-hmm. and effect type thing happening, or... Is it truly just nothing but laziness? Yeah. One time at band camp, Mike put a tuba up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Not my ass, but somebody else's ass. Yes. That's true. Yeah, part of, the, part of that story, right? Also, I wasn't even part of that band camp, but I snuck in. and Oh, right. I, I missed that part. Stuck tubes up people's asses. Fun time. <laughs> then you just leave, and no one. they wake up the next morning, like, why the fuck's this tube up my ass? <laughs> Like, that's fun. They have their sleep farts, like you know. I like to call it a gaseous melody. Oh, that's a good name for it. 
On July 1st, 1971, 14-year-old Brenda Jones went to visit her aunt who was sick and receiving care at Galveston General Hospital. Brenda's family didn't own a car. They used public buses and walking. So when someone reported later on that they saw Brenda walking from a bus stop to the hospital, it's not something that was out of the ordinary. After visiting her aunt, the bus driver told police that he dropped Brenda off at her bus stop home, which was two or three blocks from her house. Somewhere in that two or three block walk, Brenda disappeared. Her mother reported Brenda's missing that evening, but police wouldn't take down the report. They said that Brenda was probably out with her friends, something along those lines, and she'd show back up. Was this during the day, too? Seems like a lot of this stuff's going on right in the middle of the day. Yeah. Under people's noses, right out in broad daylight. We're, we're talking all daytime abductions. Mm. The next day, on July 2nd, Brenda's body was found floating in the water of Galveston Seawolf Parkway off of I-45. She was nude with her wrists and ankles bound. The medical examiner found that the bindings used to tie Brenda's wrists and ankles were laces from her sandals that she was wearing when she disappeared. They were like these things that went all, like tied all the way up her leg. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. It was ruled that Brenda had been strangled to death, but the medical examiner noted something that he had never seen before. Brenda's underwear had been stuffed down her throat after she died. As far as the time of death was concerned, based on the state of Brenda's body, the medical examiner ruled that Brenda had only been in the water for a couple hours, meaning that whoever had killed her had kept her alive for most of the entire time that she was missing. The medical examiner for this also uh, theorized that she had been thrown off and she was taken out on a boat and thrown off because she didn't there were any cuts or scrapes on her like someone tried to throw mm. her over you know some rocky area that it was just okay. like a clean on august 4th 1971 14 year old Rhonda johnson and 13 year old sharon shaw were last seen walking on seawall boulevard in harris county texas toward the jericho surf shop these girls disappearances were treated differently because Rhonda's grandfather was an important city council member. Nothing would turn up until 1972, but her grandfather being a city council member is going to play a big part in this as we move forward. Which is always the case. Most of the time. On October 28th, 1971, 19-year-old Gloria Gonzalez disappeared somewhere near her apartment on Jacqueline Street in Houston, Texas. Gloria worked at a grocery store, so her roommate assumed that Gloria was at work. When she never came back to the apartment, her roommate reported her missing, but that case went nowhere. Remind me, wasn't the Dean Coral case in Houston where the police were very incompetent and didn't even investigate crimes in certain neighborhoods, depending on class and race and other such things? Yeah. Okay. This wasn't that long before that. No, same time frame, yeah. Okay. I thought we talked about the Houston Police Department before. Remember, they just pulled like DUI drivers and stuff out of county jail and made them dig up that shed. That's right. Pull out the bodies. There's pictures of the police directing these guys (laughs) digging everything up. I forgot about because they didn't want to do it. Yeah, I'm just trying to view this in light in the same, I don't know, lens as how we've already looked at them before. This next case gets included in the Texas Killing Fields. Sometimes uh, and sometimes it doesn't, so we're just going to cover it anyway so nobody yells. Holla, holla. <laughs> Fucking people. How do they question you? <laughs> On November 9th, 1971, 
12-year-old Allison Craven's mom left her home alone while she went out to buy groceries, which is completely normal. When her mother got back an hour later, Allison was gone, just like she vanished. Three months later, police found Allison's hands and an arm bone and some of her teeth in a field off of I-45. Then a couple months later, on February 25th, 1972, the rest of her skeletal remains were found in another field off of I-45. What the fuck is going on down here? Texas, man. Who knows? An hour later. That means somebody was watching the house. Something. Biding their time, waiting until mom left, or did the girl sneak out? She mm. probably just went outside to play. Yeah, that could be. Someone was driving by. Crime of opportunity, probably the same person. So I don't know what the criteria is to be included in this you know, crime spree, but... Based on the person we're going to talk about later on in this episode, I just imagine it being someone that does nothing but just drives around neighborhoods looking for these young girls, mm-hmm. which is terrifying. Absolutely. Well, it's terrifying to think there's people out there doing that right now. Not just one person. What do we estimate at 50 active serial killers at any one time? Yeah, like 25 to 50. No, what did, what we, what did we estimate? What did the, <laughs> the FBI estimate that? Uh, Mike, what did your research indicate last week when we uh, replotted that diagram? The- 25 to 50. <laughs> it adds up. On November 14th, 1971, 15-year-old Debbie Ackerman went to spend the night at her friend's house, Maria Johnson, who was also 15 years old. The next day, on November 15th, the girls left Maria's house around noon and went to the Galveston Mall to hang out. After the mall, they went to an ice cream place where Debbie and Maria were seen by friends their age trying to hitchhike to Houston. Friends of theirs reported seeing the girls get into a white or light gray van that had curtains covering the back windows and an older white man was driving. That's the last time anyone saw Debbie or Maria alive. After some hours had passed and no one had heard from the girls, their parents called each other. When the parents confirmed it with each other that the girls were nowhere to be found, they were reported as missing. Debbie and Maria were both labeled as runaways and their report labeled it that it was drug-related. Very helpful. Isn't it crazy that hitchhiking like this used to take place in the early 70s? Just so common, yeah. Like getting into a, a blacked that. out window van with like, I don't <laughs> understand. No, like just like it's nothing. Like just picking up, even without the, the vans, it's just picking up random people. I mean, it's a completely different day and age, I understand. But it is, but in some ways it seems even more dangerous back then. Did were people not sure? I guess we're more aware with the information age of like these crimes were going on and maybe they were isolated and you know fourteen, fifteen year olds maybe weren't aware of the Ed Kempers and whatever the world, but these things were going on back then, right? Yeah. I mean I, th- I think the internet, like you said, the information age, like we just have access to everything. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's in one of the Killing Fields episode. The one of the victims' parents was like, "The word pedophile wasn't even in my vocabulary in 1970." Yeah, yeah. you know, like in your little corner of the world, maybe you didn't know these things took place, and you didn't want to know. I just recently started reading a book, um, Hunter S. Thompson, and his coverage of the 1972 presidential election. And he's driving up and down, you know, kind of driving to the primaries on the East Coast and different states. Mm-hmm. And just 
his writings throughout. He's like, yeah, saw a few hitchhikers, picked them up, took them down so-and-so. And like just the casualness to which he writes about it. And I'm like, yeah. I would have an anxiety attack pulling over to even help someone change a tire, which I would want to do to be a good citizen. But I would be having a panic attack thinking like, oh, this is for sure a setup, but I'm going to get fucking hit with a tire iron in the head and thrown in the trunk. Fuck yeah. But it's like just the casualness of the way that that was life back then. They just hitchhiked everywhere. And if you saw someone and you were down, you'd you'd pick them up and you'd smoke weed and you'd just drive to the next town and drop In some ways, it was fucking awesome. In a lot of ways, not so great. (laughs) In other ways, it wasn't. Yeah. Which is just wild to consider these days. Even if they took you 10 miles down the road, you know, maybe they're not going to the same place. It's 10 miles further than you would have got on foot. That's right. But I'd rather walk than have to make small talk with some jackass stranger. Who wants to do that? That sounds horrible. I mean, I just assumed everyone was high, right? Like, (laughs) it doesn't matter. You just, if you're drunk, you make the small talk, right? I suppose. Are you going to put you going to put me in the front seat like you did in Vegas at a 3 a.m. <laughs> fucking Uber drive to the airport and that guy wouldn't stop talking and I had to sit there and entertain that conversation. Oh, it was awful. You say it was awful. He loves to do it though. No, I don't love <laughs> Every to time do before it. Every time Fuller saw he get in the front and talking. As soon as he gets in there, he's chatty Cathy the whole <laughs> yeah, fucking time. Yeah, cuz I won't sit there and just let the poor guy just talk to the wall. I got to make conversation. You have to be on the entire time you're in the front seat. You can't just sit there like a schlub. You have to be on. Let's go hit pal. Me and that first sleepy. guy got along. That's what? Me and that first guy got along when we got off the airport or off the airplane. Didn't say a word That's to true. each other other than, do you want me to drop you off at the he weed dispensary? The weed he, he knew. knew. <laughs> he pegged you. He had you pegged. We didn't say a word to each other the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Two days later, on November 17th, a fisherman was out on Turner's Bayou outside of Texas City, which is 14 miles from where Debbie and Maria were last seen. The guy fishing found the bodies of the girls floating face down in the water. They were both nude from the waist down and had their wrists and ankles bound with a cord, and both girls had been shot to death. It's a pretty quick pace. That's a lot of people for one year, right? They generally start slower. Unless this wasn't the start, so or it's and multiple if it's, if it's, killers. If it's, it might not yeah. be the same person. Yeah. yeah. Six days later, on November twenty third, nineteen seventy one, a guy was out at Attic's Reservoir, walking around with a metal detector. Attic's is a little west of Houston and a little over an hour drive from Texas City, where Debbie and Maria's bodies were found. This guy was walking with his metal detector, and walked up on a badly decomposed body with no head. He got back in his car and drove to the nearest phone, which was someone's house. And he told them what they had found and asked if he could use their phone. Hello. Hello. I just <laughs> found a head. Can I come in? <laughs> it's crazy Fuck. not having cell phones and having to go find a right. house. Whole different world. Uh, sorry to bother you, man, but uh, I just found a head in the swamp. <laughs> like to call the law. Police arrived and as they were searching the area, they found a skull and a bunch of teeth scattered around. So their initial thought was, why would the skull be clean of any flesh, but the body was only halfway decayed? Good question. The medical examiner said that the head wasn't removed by the killer, that it was done by animals, and the animals were the reason why there was no flesh left. Using the loose teeth, the medical examiner fit them back into the jawbone to get a comparison for dental records. The dental records ended up confirming that the body was 
of 19-year-old Gloria Gonzalez, who disappeared on October 28, 1971. But super creepy. The medical examiner was left with one molar that didn't belong to Gloria Gonzalez. So he told the police that they needed to go back out to Attic's Reservoir to look for another body. Sure enough, three days later, on November 26th, police found the skeletal remains of a body. Not complete, but the jawbone was still there. The medical examiner was able to fit that lone molar into this jawbone, and through the dentistry work of Thomas Wilson, the remains were identified to be his daughter, Colette Wilson, which was the first victim we talked about, and we said that her dad was a dentist. Good God, man. That's fucked up. Yeah, to identify your own daughter based on the work you did on her yeah. teeth. He probably knew right away. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, probably. That is horrific. On January 3rd, 1972, two boys were out fishing on Taylor Bayou in Webster, Texas, about 45 minutes from Attic's Reservoir. The boys saw something floating in the water, which they thought was a baseball, but when they pulled it in, they realized that they had found a human skull. After searching for six weeks, police found the rest of the remains, along with the remains of another girl. They were found in a marshy field not too far away from the bayou. On February 17, 1972, the medical examiner concluded, using dental records, that the skull floating in the water belonged to 13-year-old Sharon Shaw. The headless remains found in the marsh were also Sharon's, and the girl found next to her was determined to be 14-year-old Rhonda Johnson. We talked about earlier how Rhonda Johnson's grandfather was an important city councilman for the city of Galveston. So the search was treated differently. Once the remains were found, the hunt for the killer ramped up. And it's implied that this is a situation of, like, if you, you being the police chief, can't find the killer, I'll find someone who can. Because in 1972, there were two really questionable hires new police chief Michael Morris and his assistant chief Tommy Deal. Both of these guys were low-level traffic patrol officers, and somehow they magically were put in charge of everything. Assuming by Rhonda's grandpa in city council, like he had some sway in that probably? like Yeah, it's implied. Okay. A couple weeks after these two were hired in May of 1972, a tip came in from city councilman Glenn Price. He told Morris and Deal that they needed to look into 24-year-old Michael Lloyd's self, that he was the killer. I guess it wasn't an, an anonymous tip. It was not an anonymous <laughs> tip. <laughs> it was another city councilman. Yeah. Michael's self was considered intellectually disabled. Uh, I think kind of like Jesse Miskelly from West Memphis 3. And he was also a convicted sex offender. He had been busted multiple times looking into women's windows at night. Uh, general peeping Tom type stuff. Wait, is that illegal? <laughs> <laughs> Not in Medina. I, never mind. Never mind, guys. It's, I was kidding. <laughs> I was just kidding. You don't hear about peeping Toms too much anymore. Everybody's got ring doorbells and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you'd be a fucking idiot to do that now, right? Like, Is that what it is? Is it the camera? Well, first of is all. It that you can get porn on, you know, in the palm of your hands everywhere and you don't need to peep in windows anymore. I think perverts like part to of physically it? do it. Yeah? yeah. I think if you're a, likely to be a peeping Tom, you're looking for more than just on your phone, right? Like you want know. that. You I tell mean, me, pal. Well, I think the first <laughs> the first reason why you don't hear about it anymore is because we've obviously become a worldwide phenomenon and we have the whole hashtag close your blinds campaign. 
Oh. When your blinds are closed, peep, uh, a Tom cannot peep. <laughs> You right? think you've snuffed that crime out in its entirety? <laughs> well, I would never say that. Mm. But I would also, you know, say that if you're smart and you're closing your blinds, a Tom or a Tomette cannot peep mm. on you. What uh, about a Tommy? Also that, him. Okay. Fuck him, too. Uh, Ian's right, the ring doorbells. I do think maybe some, you know, everyone who has a cell phone has a pornographic machine in their hand. Oh, look at my new pornographic machine <laughs> in my hand. You got one of those new Apple 15 pornographic <laughs> machines? Um, so I don't know. Do you think, does it Does it still happen? I, that was my question. I don't know. You I don't hear probably. about it. Yeah. Or has it changed to more of like the, uh, who was that cop we discussed? Who was like posting his wife online and like talking about. Gilbert. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like maybe it's it kind of move to more like sinister stuff like that. Like more like online type well, like peeping those, Tom type stuff. Like the cameras inside USB sticks and stuff that dudes will put in like bathrooms and mm. stuff. Yeah, mm. probably stuff like that, I would imagine. Yeah. We can get Chris Hansen on that. that he'll <laughs> put an end to that right away. We'll get him on that. To catch a bathroom predator. <laughs> He's hiding up in the vent. <laughs> Comes out of the closet. Here's your towel. You so you're trying to put a hidden camera there in the vent. I want you to take a seat on the toilet there. I'd like to talk to you. Oh, we just thought of a Is great that a pizza show. you brought in the bathroom? <laughs> they found one. Of I like how we're, I like right how he's here. walking into the bathroom. Huh? Meanwhile, it's the victim who's in the bathroom. <laughs> he would not be doing that. <laughs> well, he catches him trying to install it. I see. Gotcha. <laughs> What did you say? And they did they, what? They found one in the Cleveland Clinic up here. A hidden. Our pond. local? Mm-hmm. In the women's bathroom. They busted a janitor or something. Jeez. Oh, you can't even take a dump anymore. <laughs> Seriously. But to answer Dave, Dave, your question, I think it's more that now, right? Like it's it's the cyber stalking that. That's what I. Yeah. People close their fucking blinds. They learned. Now you got to close your camera blinds. But how do you close a camera blind if you don't know the camera is there? <laughs> you don't even know it's there. You got to scan for that stuff. How do you do that? Counter, you mean like counter like just, surveillance equipment? I don't know. Is that what you have in your home? Maybe. You, mean, you mean like an ocular scan? <laughs> an ocular scan. Dave walks into any room. He can already tell you if there's any cameras looking at him. Well, I placed one camera in your house. And you, if you can find which room it's in, then you'll know. Hey. Joke's on you. I know. <laughs> you enjoy it, pal. <laughs> You're going to see a lot of Casey Anthony videos popping up. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> he forces me to say these things. You put me in a corner and I have to say something. So it's what the people want to hear. Nobody puts Mike in a corner. <laughs> I mean, you can. I'm just going to make a Casey Anthony joke out of it usually. <laughs> So on June 9th, 1972, at 5 a.m., Tommy Deal went to talk to Michael Self at the gas station he worked at. Tommy Deal never said the names of Rhonda or Sharon, just referred to them as two girls, which Deal confirmed this later on. Michael Self said that he thought Deal was talking about Michael's ex-wife and his new girlfriend. So Michael agreed to go to the station to talk further. Remember, Jesse and Kelly, very suggestible. Oh, yeah, sure. Anyone with sort of that intellectual disability 
the kid from um, Making a Murderer. No, that's don't even he, go on that because then people are asking us to do that <laughs> oh, show. Yeah. And then you guys have your thoughts. That's going to piss everybody off. And I can play innocent because I haven't fucking watched it. Regardless what that kid did. You would. guys both think he's guilty. <laughs> Let's just call it like it is. I'm not sure the kid's guilty. Which one's yeah. the kid? The one is Brand Brandon? Yeah, I think so. It's Brandon. You guys think somebody is guilty that everyone else thinks is innocent, right? Yeah, the main guy, Steve Avery. Oh, he's 100% guilty. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> Please direct no, all your comments not to a question Dave my underscore Namapod. Tell me all you want. His nephew's, his, the one. his nephew's the one. Is his nephew the one who was intellectually disabled who wanted mm-hmm. to like get home to watch WrestleMania? Yeah. He thought he yeah, fully yeah. was going to go yeah. home that night and watch WrestleMania. See, and and mm-hmm. uh, so did he end up getting convicted? The, oh, yeah. The, yeah. What's, the, what's that kid guy's name? The Brandon, Brandon. Brandon. He got convicted as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you guys, but you guys don't necessarily think he was guilty. He might have just been. I think he was probably there. Up. I'm but not. but did he even understand? It, right. I don't think yeah. he understood he what happened. I don't think he understood what Stephen Avery put him up to doing. And again, I have not seen yeah. a single second of this clips. I just hear from everyone talking. And, and so he I wasn't know. capable of confessing to what he confessed to. I don't. I don't, he didn't understand what's happening. Yeah, I mean, but they think. didn't. But the courts didn't care. They they took it mm. as a confession. His mom also gave him permission to. So yeah, the mom didn't do him any favors. Yeah. That was not great. Sounds very upsetting. I don't think I want to watch that. <laughs> that pisses me off just That's to hear horrible. that. Yeah. It's really sad to see him after talk after confessing to murder like and not cleaning up or, even what he did. Yeah, or what be he like, confessed to. I I can't wait. I want to get Wrestling's home to watch WrestleMania. On. Hopefully, we get home in time. But Stephen Avery is guilty. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. Why do people think he's not? No, 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 never mind. It doesn't matter. Because like they left a ton episode. of shit out of the documentary. Okay. Yeah. We'll save it. I didn't mean to get some you guys cell on this phone tangent. data that they left out of that. that there's a bunch of stuff. No need to contact us. Ian and I are right. It's okay. Yeah. If you don't really <laughs> if you don't agree with people us. People have wanted to cover us to cover that for a long time. But is that shouldn't would I have to watch that, you think, to do it? Or is it better off if I go in hearing like just Ian's fresh notes? I don't know, honestly. It'd be interesting as uh, someone who never saw it that you didn't watch it and see what opinion you get. Yeah, yeah, you could be the tiebreaker or not a tiebreaker. Not a tiebreaker. It's already decided. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> cool, though, media has spoken. <laughs> but now that I know it's already kind of one-sided and they left information out, I would be thinking that the whole time. Yeah, that's true. We already poisoned the well. Or did you smarten me up? Maybe so. Anyways, all right. Well, we'll cover that in 2027. <laughs> Stick around. Once they had Michael Self in the interrogation room, Tommy Deal pulled out pictures of Rhonda and Sharon and asked Michael if he recognized them. Michael said they looked familiar, but he didn't know their names. He said they could have been regulars at the gas station, but he couldn't tell for sure. There was another officer in there at the time, Officer Jerry Mitchell. Jerry Mitchell would later say that when he left the interrogation room, Michael himself seemed calm and there wasn't much to the questioning. Then police chief Michael Morris took over the interview. Chief Morris started asking Michael self why he killed Rhonda and Sharon, and he wasn't leaving until he got a confession. Chief Morris allegedly slammed Michael against the wall multiple times and poked him with his nightstick over and over again, super hard while he was holding him up against the wall. As this went on and Michael Self wasn't confessing, Chief Morris allegedly 
started pulling bullets out of his gun and placing them on the table. Michael later said that at that point, he fully believed that he would be killed if he didn't confess. So Michael agreed to write and sign a confession, but it was wrong. Michael Self would end up writing and signing multiple confessions until he got it correct, at least three of them. And even the last one wasn't completely accurate. It was seemed like it was good enough for Chief Morris. <laughs> he was happy with the third one. Officer Jerry Mitchell testified to this. Um, he was the one that left the room when Chief Morris took over. Now that Officer Mitchell was back in the room, he said that Michael Self wasn't calm anymore. He was visibly upset, uh, shaking. And Officer Mitchell testified that he witnessed Michael Self being made to sign multiple confessions. Get into a list of some of the stuff from Michael Self's first two confessions before Chief Morris basically wrote it for him. He said that he left bodies in Alago, Texas, which is 20 miles away from where the girls were actually found. He said that he picked the girls up from Sharon's house, which even her family said is not accurate. Remember, they were seen by their friends walking along Seawall Boulevard toward the Jericho surf shop. He said that he hit one of the girls with a glass Coke bottle. No cause of death could be determined for either Rhonda or Sharon. There were no signs of blunt force trauma. I don't even know. I guess you could kill anybody with a single hit, but I feel like yeah. it would be very hard to kill somebody with a glass Coke bottle. Those Two older, people at the same older time. Bo- well, those older bottles are pretty heavy, right? Full bottle. Yeah. Two people at the same time, maybe not. I mean, that's a bit of a stretch, but I mean, I guess I could see maybe. It's possible. It's a stretch, though. It is a stretch. It just sounds silly. It does sound silly. Nowadays, yeah. they're all those plastic, right? You ain't kill anybody with that. Mm-mm. Trust me, I've tried. <laughs> He's not, not only a bad cop, he's a dumb cop, right? Like, what are you doing here? Do you think he's just like tearing up the confessions, throwing them right in the waste paper basket, like right there in the room where like <laughs> everyone can just open these up and find them? And it sure sounds like, like it. No, 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 restart this one. Mm. Yeah, it, it sounds to me like they let him kind of go for the first two. And then finally, they're like, okay, he's just all over the place. So we're yeah. just going to write it for this him. This is what you did. This is what you did. Yeah terrible in one of those early confessions michael said that he dumped their clothing off at the side of the highway which in reality their clothing was found with the girl's remains another interesting thing that was used against michael self is that he took two polygraph tests regarding his confession and he failed both of them meaning that the machine said he was lying about his confessions but somehow this was still twisted and used against him oh boy Regardless of all of this stuff, Michael Self was arrested and charged with the murders of Rhonda and Sharon. Then two weeks after his arrest, two deputies checked Michael out of jail and took him out to dinner. After dinner, they drove Michael around to locations that he mentioned in his confessions and took pictures of him at those locations. Those pictures were presented at trial as evidence that Michael Self knew exactly where the spots he was referring to in his confessions were. This entire paragraph seems fake. Right. Really does. They right? took him out of jail to dinner. After con- after after he allegedly confessed to two murders of two 15-year-old girls. Oh, we're going to take you out to dinner. Let's, hey, Perkins on us. We're going to take you to Perkins. I mean, Salisbury steak. Yeah, Salisbury steak. Go to some hot spots in town and take yeah. some pictures. And then they take the photos and say, hey, this is proof. He knew exactly where to go. We took him there though. 
It's hard to think. Uh, what was the name of the guy we just covered from California? The killer. Um, Richard Ramirez. No, no, no. <laughs> Rodney Alcala. Hillside Strangler. Ed Kemper. We never did that one. <laughs> Shh, pal. Come on. Get people excited now. OJ Simpson. Two weeks ago. The, uh, the Michael Jackson. The, the car parts guy. The Lonnie. Uh, Franklin. Lonnie Franklin. Grim yeah. Sleeper. Grim Sleeper. The Grim Sleeper case. The Anthony Sowell case. The police work in that was awful. Like, Agreed. You can't get worse. What was that? Uh, N-I-H, not, no, uh, N-H-I, no human involved for Grim Sleeper. Yeah. It's disgusting. But is it even worse when they treat these runaways or the, these missing girls as runaways and then also frame someone as the murderer? Like, have we hit a new sure. low of police work? This and is, like, that's what I was just thinking of, like some of those cases. And, and I know we're some we're hard on cops for a lot of these cases, but we probably wouldn't be talking about a lot of these cases if if there was better police work involved. There's obviously great police work out there. But like when we did the Anthony Sowell, when we did the Grim Sleeper, we're like and John Benet and all that stuff. We're like, this is the worst of the worst. Like these cops, how can you be that bad? So these I, cops are all of that. But now also framing a man. I, I think this is probably small town politics leaning on cops who probably aren't even remotely qualified to perform investigations on situations like this. So and maybe a systems failure, not a police individual failure. Probably some of both. Yeah. And they're they're Because this is kind of like it's West Memphis three esque. They probably yeah. weren't weren't prepared small town to handle that investigation. You know have their head up their ass, have yeah. no idea what they're looking or investigative techniques, what to look at. Probably sloppy coroners lose. And I yeah. think we'll talk about later sloppy coroners losing evidence. Just, so just not all around bad. Not, we're not excusing what they did, but also probably not an entire department set up to handle something like this. De I definitely not. Yeah. It's no excuse for oh, of course. railroading an no, intellectually because, disabled man. Because this, if you feel but. like you can't handle it, you can ask for help. Or you can you can get assistance. That's right. Or you can quit. You certainly shouldn't be framing a person with a disability. But I think it's probably the root of some of this. Would be my guess. I don't know. I think that's fair. I mean, what you have a thought, Ian? Or I just think it's it's really weird to push so hard to make one guy guilty that everybody clearly knows is not guilty. Mm -hmm. It seems like just that pushing to case closed. We yeah. got him. It's right, making our town on. look bad. They just want to be done with it. And Which seems to be the theme with a lot of these cases, though, right? They just want to put that case closed stamp on it. I think they're lost. I don't think they know what to do. Yeah. I mean, I'll give Stephen Avery credit. That's what, or you know, I'll acknowledge that with Stephen Avery. That's what happened to him the first time. That's when absolutely he went to prison. true. He, he was in prison twice. The first time he was wrongfully convicted, I think, for 100%. sure. 100%. Yeah. Like twice for the same... Not the same case, just different. No, just mm. separate incidents. I should really just fucking watch a documentary at this point. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Someday. Well, we'll see. I'll put it behind Die Hard on my to-watch list. <laughs> it's just very odd. Like, this guy is, you know, it's implied that her grandfather had some something to do with this as well. What's that get, what's that get him getting this innocent guy just thrown in jail? Maybe, real well, maybe still they just tell there. him, hey, we got it. That's that's right. Yeah. We got to yeah. get off our backs now. It's solved. 
You're never going to know. And then so you a just lot of behind the scenes maneuvering and small town politics. Who knows? And then you just happened. bank on, oh, don't, we won't find any more bodies. Everything will be hunky dory. We'll go right, back to life as right. normal. Yeah. Some people are just bad. Just they're bad people. That's true, too. They'll put innocent people in jail to further their own needs or their own whatever. On September 18th, 1974, Michael Self was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Fast forward to 1976 for a minute. Police Chief Michael Morris and his assistant Tommy Deal were arrested for multiple bank robberies dating back to. Oh! <laughs> First, uh, what? 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 They were robbing banks back in 1972. <laughs> and while he was the police chief. I'll say that. Wasn't he the chief then? Yeah. Um, so then when you call the police, he just like blocks it on his like his little gimmick button he's got. And he's like, no, no, no I got this, guys. They were also arrested for torture and unlawful imprisonment of detainees. Chief Morris was sentenced to 55 years in prison and Tommy Deal was sentenced to 30. Regardless of these developments, all of Michael Self's appeals were denied and he ended up dying in prison from cancer in 2000. Oh, like how is that even possible? Like any convictions that those two had any part in should be vacated immediately. All of them. Yeah. Texas man, who needs it? Not I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I appreciate all of our listeners, obviously. And keep obviously. Show, but. <laughs> On January 3rd, 1973, 16-year-old Kimberly Pitchford went to school as normal. However, on this day, she had to stay over for detention. She had been late to class a couple times. After detention, she went to her driver's ed class from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. The plan was that when driver's ed was over, Kimberly would call her mom for a ride home. When that call never came, Kimberly's mother started calling around to friends, and then like all the other cases, she reported Kimberly is missing. Surprisingly, the police actually took the report right away in this case, but unfortunately, Kimberly's body was found two days later. Two teenage kids were walking through Angleton, Texas, right off of I-45, when they found Kimberly's body lying face down in a ditch that had filled with water. Afterwards, the medical examiner reported that Kimberly had died from strangulation. Again, broad daylight. Yeah, a lot of broad daylight stuff going on here. The next victim is Brooke Bracewell, age 12, and Georgia Gear, age 14. Brooks and Georgia skipped school on September 6, 1974, and not too long after their parents found out that they skipped school, the girls were reported as missing. There were a bunch of tips that came in about where the girls had gone, stuff like they hitchhiked to Alvin, Texas, or they were seen hanging out with a bunch of guys near a football field in Alvin. The tip that still sticks today is that the girls were last seen at a gas station right off of I-45. The tip also said that Georgia was last seen in an all-orange outfit and Brooks was wearing plaid high-rise pants and a gold V-neck sweater. That's what Mike's wearing, isn't it? <laughs> That's a good luck. That's awesome. Thank you. Hugs your cock real nice. That's great. Very tight in the pant crotchal region and no underwear. That's what I go with. I like to give him the old uh, cock and ball camel toe. The outline of the the head of your penis. Very nice looking. About as big as these uh, microphone heads. (laughs) It's humongous. It's humongous. Just saying. The girl's wet enough, it sounds like a cannonball. 
I, we need to stop. <laughs> we have to fast forward a bit to when their remains were found and identified. In 1976, some of Brooks's remains were found by police in Alvin, Texas. But since no one cared to try and investigate any further, the remains weren't identified as Brooks until a new detective took over the case in 1981. That detective re-examined the ditch where the girls were found, and on April 3rd, 1981, he found more remains, which, as well as fragments of a gold sweater and the plaid pants. Five years later, geez. What about the other girl? Yeah, both of them. Both of them. Yeah, okay. yeah. The final victim was 12-year-old Suzanne Bowers. On May 21st, 1977, she disappeared while walking home from her grandparents' house. She told her grandparents that when she got home, she was going to go get her bathing suit and then go to the beach. A friend of Suzanne's was at the beach waiting for her, and when Suzanne never showed up, her friend went looking for her. This led to Suzanne's grandparents and her parents finding out that Suzanne never made it back to her house to get the bathing suit. Her skeletal remains were found two years later in Alta Loma, Texas, on March 25th, 1979. Her skull looked to have gunshot holes, but investigators were unable to determine the cause of death. Henry Lee Lucas confessed to her murder, and it was one of the ones that was closed and attributed to him, but mm. that is not accurate. He didn't. It's one of the ones that are clearly bullshit. He confessed to hundreds of murders and... He has the nickname, the confession killer. Just trying to feel like a badass, taking more credit for things. And yeah, when we talk reading the papers and being like, oh, that sounds good. I should take credit for that one. I'll remember that name. I don't know what was going on in Texas in the 70s, 80s, but the police just got so excited to close cases. They just let Henry Lee Lucas start confessing to stuff and they were just closing case after case, even though they didn't make any sense. Mm. There's a really good Netflix documentary about that. It's called the confession killer Mm. about like just how blatant some of them were like, there's no way he did that, but they were closed. Get those closed case rates up and uh, get that workload, get that file off your desk. Right. Right. And tell the family, Oh, we solved it. Mm. It was this guy. He admitted to it. Man, that's awful. Is it the Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer movie? Yeah. Henry Lee Lucas? That'd be like a two or three part one. A lot of people have asked about that one. It's been on the list for a long time. So Michael Self went to prison for two of these murders. And everyone, including people in law enforcement, is in agreement that he was wrongly convicted. So the other suspect we have to talk about is Edward Harold Bell. Everyone was in agreement except the people who could let him out of prison, apparently. Yeah. Because what the fuck, man? Yeah, multiple officers that were involved, you know, back then have come forward and said, yeah, that guy was wrongfully convicted. He shouldn't have been in there. Unbelievable. Edward Bell was born on May 26, 1939 in southern Texas. He made a lot of claims about his childhood, but Edward allegedly was sexually abused by his father, a scoutsmaster in Boy Scouts, and one of his cousins. Edward also claimed that his father encouraged him to commit crimes, everything from robbing banks to raping women. Edward's family says absolutely not, that he had a completely normal childhood and for a time lived a normal life. He graduated high school in Columbus, Texas, then got a degree in physical education from Texas A&M University. After college, Edward got licensed as a diver and was doing underwater oil work, which I'm acquainted with somebody 
that lives in Texas that does that uh, underwater really? oil work and like works on his pipes. It's a fucking dangerous job. Yeah, certainly sounds like it. What do you do? Like welding and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, welding underwater. You make it wrong, it's good. The pipes can explode. <laughs> and yeah, oh and then you know, God. it's you know, breaking news on every station. Uh, no, thank you. No, too <laughs> Absolutely, much, too much pressure. No thanks. <laughs> I'd rather just sit here, get drunk, and act like a dumbass. Collect <laughs> a paycheck. I'll take that. Right around the time that he got this diver's job, he got married and moved to a ranch in Terralingo, Texas. Edward and his wife ended up having three kids before he sold the ranch and moved to Houston. In 1966, Edward was arrested for exposing himself to two young girls in Sedan, Texas. For that, he was committed to Big Spring State Psychiatric Hospital. After spending less than a year in treatment, he was released only to get rearrested in 1969 after he exposed himself to a 13-year-old girl. This time, he was committed to the University of Texas Medical Branch for treatment, where he constantly made advances toward underage female patients. By the time of his release, he was divorced and was court-ordered to stay away from kids. But spoiler alert, that didn't stop him. And Edward married a 17-year-old female patient that he met during that second stint of treatment. And the two of them moved to a beach house in Galveston. I want to live in a beach house in Galveston. How's this motherfucker manage? Uh, has he got money? Well, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but he, uh, he, he did a lot of scamming and, uh. Uh, and stuff like that. And he, he does put together the money to invest in a surf shop we're going to talk about okay. here in a minute. Right. even though he was kind of like this good businessman to a degree through the mid to late 70s he was repeatedly arrested for exposing himself and masturbating in front of young girls in multiple places in texas lubbock pasadena plainville uh backcliff and houston but he was either just never charged for these or the charges were dropped but he did end up meeting this guy named doug prunes and for some reason, this guy allowed uh, Edward to invest in his surf shop. Oh, nice. Like he allowed, he already, Doug Prunes already had the shop running and he allowed Edward to become like a, a co-partner. He wasn't aware of Edward's background though. Maybe, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know for sure. Mm. Maybe he didn't take his wiener out when Doug was. <laughs> well, he wasn't an <laughs> underage girl, so probably well, not. Yeah. That's another really weird thing. Taking your wiener out around, yeah. around young girls? Well, just around, around anybody in general. Wow. Like dudes that are out there flashing people. It's a weird thing, flashing. It's, it's, it's a weird kink to have. And I know, you know, we don't typically kink shame, but if it involves kids, we're going to kink shame you. It's fucking weird. Don't do that. Yeah. Fucking creep. Creep. Yeah. Put your wiener away. What is it? Is it horrible bosses? Where Charlie has the, uh, he's he's labeled as a sex offender because he was drunk and was peeing outside, <laughs> but it was in like a few hundred yards of like yeah. a, a children's playground. Like, <laughs> like it's just some BS technicality. It's, that yeah. happens too, man. You I get know. put on you a gotta fucking be careful list with that. you had to piss. Right. I just think of the office when Phyllis gets flashed and Michael's <laughs> like pulling his coat back. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he's like, what? Did did he not see Pam or Karen from behind? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, when they tell him Phyllis, he's like, oh, Phyllis? He starts <laughs> laughing, right? <laughs> <laughs> On August 24th, 1978, Edward was driving around neighborhoods in Pasadena, Texas, looking for little girls. He found a group of girls outside, so he stopped his truck and started masturbating in front of them. One of the like girls. Like, you just pull up and sit there like what's logistically like how does that work i wonder just get out of the get out of the car and stand up and do it yeah in this case he was outside of his truck like Mm. the truck door is open yeah he's standing on the street it's a weird move middle of daytime right yeah yeah (laughs) don't love it (laughs) think like what what's going on in his head too he's clearly not well first of all he's a sexual pervert but just to be able to think like you're no one's going to see you is that acceptable behavior even if they weren't kids if there was no one around you just you still can't do that yeah i mean even if you do it to an adult it's against it's, the law right. <laughs> you're getting put on a sex well, offender just list in public yeah whipping your your dangle out and just going to town on it it's such a weird thing right yeah i can't even pee at like a concert if there's a lot of guys <laughs> waiting in line like, let alone anything else. That's where the police in Vegas crossed the line or uh, drew the line. Remember that that one, that homeless guy was. I thought you were going to go with something when we were there. And I was like, wait, what happened when we were in Vegas? Yeah, that like everybody's just doing whatever the fuck they want. And then there was that one homeless guy that was like jerking off under his pants and they got him right oh, out of there. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I was there at that point. Oh, yeah. That's where they drew the line. Yeah. Public masturbation. You got to get out. I remember you t- saying that. I wasn't there yeah. for that. Yeah. I was banging a girl in the back. <laughs> Sorry. She came up and she was like, I'll get 200 bucks. And I was like, all right. So she paid me 200 bucks to bang me. And I was like, all right. <laughs> they get done and she puts her hand off her money. And he's like, wait, I thought you were paying me. No, no. It works this way. You just had the ride of your life. You know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> One of the girl's fathers, Larry Dickens, saw this and rushed Edward, which they started fighting for the keys to Edward's truck. So Dickens attacked Dick out. Yes. Okay. And Larry Dickens was like a badass. He was a Marine. Mm. And he just charged and started fighting with him. Edward managed to pull a gun from under the driver's seat and shot Larry in the stomach. Oh, that's a- Larry stumbled back into his garage where Larry's mother saw this whole thing happen told Larry to lay down and relax. As she was trying to calm Larry down and kind of process what was happening, Edward walked up with a rifle and shot Larry point blank in the forehead and then left. Man, that's out of control. Christ. It's fucking crazy. Yes. Broad daylight, all these kids around. You go from jerking your wiener, standing <laughs> next to your car, to fucking killing a guy in his own garage. Yeah. In front of people, like not even worrying about witnesses yeah. at all. Mm. and it's not described as like a like a rush like run up and shoot him just like a casual walk up put it up against his forehead and then walk away and leave it didn't take police long to find edward and charge him with murder but edward made the hundred twenty five thousand dollar bail and took off for the next 14 years edward traveled around various locations in mexico in Central America, using a sailboat and posing as a dead cousin of his named Cecil Boyd. After spending time in Costa Rica in 1988 and 1989, 
Edward moved to Panama, where he married another underage girl. He's living his best life out there. How do you pop someone in their garage in front of a bunch of witnesses and get a hundred twenty-five thousand dollar bail? Yeah, that's what I. That's loose. Whew. I mean, it's a lot more money back then, but still. And he he was putting his diving stuff to work while he was down there. He was taking American mm. tourists on diving thing, you know, expeditions, whatever. Yeah. On December 2nd, 1992, Unsolved Mysteries aired an episode about the murder of Larry Dickens. If you recognize this outdoor wiener handler, <laughs> please call us. Perhaps you can solve a mystery. <laughs> Perhaps you can make him put his wiener away. Get him, Robert Stack. A man recognized Edward as someone he had recently done business with in Panama City and called the tip line. On February 14, 1993, the FBI and the Panamanian National Police arrested Edward at a yacht club in Panama City. He was sent back to Texas, found guilty, and sentenced to 70 years in prison for the murder of Larry Dickens. That's like well, when that's they, right. like it gets all like 90s on looking on the screen with that music. And it's like update, and the fucking <laughs> word updates come <laughs> flying through. <laughs> all right, so at least we got that guy. About time. In 1998, Edward started writing letters to prosecutors in Galveston and Harris County, claiming to have killed multiple girls between 1971 and 1977. Those letters were brought to the public in 2011 by retired Galveston homicide detective Fred Page, who said that the Galveston Police Department was keeping Edward's confession a secret. In July and September of 2011, a Houston Chronicle reporter sat down and talked to Edward, who told the reporter that he had killed 11 girls and referred to them as the 11 that went to heaven. Fred Page wasn't the only member of law enforcement who had Edward on their radar for being responsible for the 11 murders, but prosecutors in Galveston decided to not show a grand jury Edward's written confessions. Harris County prosecutors just flat out never looked into the allegations and later on, they said that they had lost all the letters that Edward had sent them. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I, I, okay. I don't even know what to say about that. Way to go. So there's other people before he even started writing these letters that had kind of fingered him as a potential suspect? Yeah, that he was potentially a serial killer. Mm. Based on his, you know, where he was you know kind of tracking where he was living at the time things like that yeah, yeah and the fact that he just could not stop targeting little girls well and it seems like almost with the ease that he killed larry might not have been you know his first just straight up murder like that that's a good you point said the way he just walked up and just kind of put the gun to his head and shot him it sounded very methodical not like a frenzied you know rage, yeah, not like rage a panic killing. Yeah. yeah that's a good point yeah so Edward claimed that his victims were from Houston, Galveston, Webster, and Dickinson. Five murders happened in 1971 and six more from about 1974 to 1977. He said six of them were murdered in pairs, which he specifically named Debbie Ackerman and Maria Johnson. He said that he dumped their bodies close to a deserted bridge, which matched with the crime scene. They were last seen hitchhiking with a man driving a white van, Edward owned a white van at that time. The surf shop he invested in with Doug Prunes was the one that the girls were known to go to all the time. And finally, he had a trailer 
near the bayou where the bodies were found. Did he have any um, pieces of information that had not been released to the public or it was something that he couldn't have just read in a newspaper? Yeah, he was able to give some details about crime scenes. Okay. And still they didn't want to pursue it. No. Because they wrapped it up already. Solved. They don't want to look dumb, right? That's always part of it when they make a mistake. They don't want to admit their mistake. It's a lot easier to leave the guy that's already there and be done with it. But this is different girls. This isn't Rhonda and Sharon. But weren't they thinking Michael Self did all of them? Weren't they trying? They only charged him with the two, but weren't they kind of yeah, I pinning think, yeah. it on all of them? Yeah, I think so. But he so this just kind of would stir things up. He wasn't, he wasn't charged or convicted of all of them. Right, they just because they only had the evidence for. They the just kind of said, "Well, it was probably confession. that we're going to close these out." Yeah, but there was there was never actually any closure on them. So opening something like this reopens all that well, stuff. Dave, I think you can do all that paperwork. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> who's going to do all that? Yeah, that's a shame. He told the reporter from the Houston Chronicle that he wanted immunity, like he didn't want anything else added to his sentence. And when that wasn't going to be offered, he said that he lied about the whole thing to get the death penalty. <laughs> that was when he was interviewed for the documentary, The Eleven, mm. in 2017. On April 20th, 2019, Edward died from a heart attack at 79 years old at Wallace Pack Unit Prison. He never ended up being charged for any of these murders, but I think he is. You think that's the guy? A very solid suspect in... At least some. A handful of them. At least the two that he specifically had details about. Yeah. And that's where we'll pick back up on part two. It's a very weird story in that there's so many deaths. We're not talking about a singular serial killer. No. Probably not. And and it's, it's, it's very much true to its title, the Texas Killing Fields, because it's probably just about a, a bunch of different killers and murderers it's just it's weird that it's all young women right like maybe that's the one this isn't an area where they find a lot of men dead right like there's not a lot of male bodies found i think the fact that the victim um the victim profile stays the same over all those years it leaves this like creepy thought that is the same guy responsible for all this and nobody can catch him Obviously, yeah. that's not true once you get into the mm-hmm. 2000s on part three, but it, it has this really it's possible. haunting vibe. Like It's possible. And like usually when we tell this kind of story, it all leads to like, who is the serial killer? Like, they're still at large. Or we find out and we talk about this one. We don't necessarily know. And it could be different. It could be the same. It's just, it's really weird. Mm. On the surface, you would think that these it was a bunch of different, maybe killers, and just was just an easy area to throw away bodies. But the fact that it's all kind of the same demographic, I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that Edward killed all 11 girls, but I definitely think he killed some of them. I think a separate killer probably killed Colette Wilson and Gloria Gonzalez. Because their bodies were found together months apart. Mm. So somebody had killed Colette and then a couple months, whatever, later killed Gloria and brought her to that spot. 
Yeah. Okay. I think that's the same the same person in in my opinion. Okay. Killed them. It's creepy. It's terrifying. I don't even know what to say, yeah. The name is creepy. Texas Killing Fields. It seems like the name originated with with the killings in that small patch of land in the 80s and then it just kind of I think it took did, on right? a bigger like framework as applying to all of this yeah. when they started taking a deeper look at things. Yeah. Which is interesting. But it's still weird that it's the same demographic kind of, of of body being found, right? Like it's just all women, yeah. young women being found all in this area, whether it's the same killer or not. Sure. I th- think based off what I know for part two and three, I think like four killers at minimum. Mm. And I watched Connected. No, just uh, doing their own That's thing. That's even more terrifying. It almost sounds like some of it was like whoever started in the 80s was like, oh, this person got away with it because it's so easy to dump bodies out here. Boy, that really might be the case. So not necessarily copycat, just, hey, I want to do that. This looks like a great place to dispose of bodies. And if you watch that first, what is it, the first documentary on Netflix, the first episode of that Texas field killings documentary it starts with the 80s it's a little ass backwards the way they do things but (laughs) those 80s stories are just as tragic and as horrifying as the 70s sure and the again like a whole new decade of police work and it's the same thing they ran away they ran away we're not gonna look into that just yet they'll be back don't worry about it which again i think goes to i think ian you do touched on this maybe there is something too we don't we don't ever hear the stories of the girls or young individuals, boy or girl, that run away and then do show up. And maybe for the police force that happens all too often. So they tend to write off these stories. I think there's something to be said for that. We don't ever hear about the cases where the kid returns the next day. But I, I still don't know how you tell a parent, go home, don't worry about it. We're not even going to open a report yet. Especially when there's... So many other girls being killed. Yes, even more so, yes, than with that. It's not like this went under the radar, like these communities didn't Mm -hmm. talk to each other or read their newspapers or things. The killer had had nicknames throughout this time, throughout the 70s. The Purple Passion Killer was one of them because all the girls, it was reported that all the girls were wearing purple at the time of their Mm -hmm. disappearances, which that's not accurate, but, you know, the killer had Sticks, a nickname yeah. and everything. I just don't think it was one killer, but I mean, everybody was freaked out about it. You the police weren't. Be. Yeah. Except <laughs> them, right? Like, oh, well, more to come next week, I guess. And the week after. All right. Well, we'll, I don't know. Any, Ian, anything else with this one that you uh, uh, found in your research or? No, uh-uh. no, I'm good with it. I guess we'll, uh, we'll save thoughts obviously for the end. So, Obviously. All right, Dave. I'd like to solve the case now. <laughs> Would you like to buy a vowel? What is? <laughs> what do you got for us? Thank you to new patrons. Emily Beeman-Durfer, Michaela McManus, Korea McJunkins, Stick Your Tongue in My Turd Cutter, <laughs> Uh, no, thank you. Oh, well, I'm listening. <laughs> Tell me more. Andrea Allred, 
Jen Neethi, Virgil Deaton, Ben Post, Baphomet's ball sack on Dave's face. Whoa. Hot damn. It's very evil sounding. <laughs> <laughs> Corey Harvey, Cheyenne Lusher, Kara, Ilsa Rodriguez, Brian Melgoza, me, not me, that their name's me, not me. Uh-oh. I'm not Got a new it. patron. You shouldn't be. Okay. You get to hear all the shows for free, pal. <laughs> Bree Johnson, Doshia Lee, Daniela Hodges, Cal Sedge, Crystal Johnson, Light 8729, JW, Jen Kennedy, Dylan Blevins, Nikos Vardas, Teresa Sidorov, Chris Calabrese, Ashley, Kelvin Johnston, Tawny Wentz, Brandy from Murder Mountain, Humboldt County. That's where they grow their weed, right? Oh, yeah. Lieutenant Dan's new legs. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Brad Bolas, Stephen Bunn, Steady Kiwi, Alexis Riles, Michael Broadnax, Chunky Monkey, Nikki, Willie Stroker. <laughs> Adam McIntarfer, Colby Layton, and Melinda Sensenstein. Sensenstein, however you pronounce that. Thank you, uh, new patrons. Appreciate your support. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one. For Carrie Mix, for Indy Zebra, and Pathetic Speller. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Dave, anything else? I got a couple international uh, reviews. All right. Thank you. Uh, Happy Cow 10092 from Canada. Mari Mark Aussie Senior from the Philippines. How about that? All the way from the Philippines. Look at that. I hope I didn't butcher that name too bad. And uh, that's it. Thank you so much. Okay. We are on patreon.com slash Necronomapod for all of the bonus content. That is uh, three bonus shows a month at the $5 level, four bonus shows at the $10 level, and at the $10 level, it's always uh, always our Sunday shows early and ad-free. Amazon.com, search Necronomapod for all of our merch. Necronomapod.com for stickers. Dave still hasn't updated the price because he forgot until just now. Sure did. (laughs) (laughs) Happy 4th of July. Back it up, Terry. (laughs) We're going to give you one more week on that one until Dave remembers. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, uh, Thread. Is it Thread? Thread? Threads. 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 At Necronomapod. And... uh, that's it, right? You said it all? That's it. You covered it. All right. Well, check us out out there. We're, we're a hell of a time. <laughs> all right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>